Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, will you turn with me to the book of Acts? We'll keep going there, Acts chapter 19 this morning. And in this passage, Paul is still on his third missionary journey. He's still in the city of Ephesus. He has been here planting what eventually would be one of the leading churches in this era of time. And he has spent, Paul has spent a considerable amount of time in the city of Ephesus and with the new Christians there. Uh, Paul's mission and his ministry in Ephesus have been going incredibly well. It's been a couple of weeks, but in the first part of chapter 19, we learned that Many people were coming to trust in Jesus as their Savior. Christians were getting rid of things out of their life. Um, They had no business being in the life of a Jesus follower. And the church at Ephesus was growing. It was making a difference in the context of everything going so well. And just as Paul is about to leave Ephesus uh, to go minister elsewhere, we see a great commotion arise. And it threatens Paul's mission and the Holy Spirit's work there. Isn't that how it usually goes? Um, None of us like commotion or strife. Uh, Nobody's going to sign up for it. Uh, But at least in some sense, here in in Acts 19, it's a compliment. Um, Satan is not going to target a church that is not making an impact. Why would he waste resources on that? No, you can be assured that if a church is doing what God tells it to do, there's going to be commotion, there's going to be strife. Eventually it will creep in and it will try to cause havoc. And that's what we find here happening in verses 21 through 41. Let's read them now, and then we'll pray and go through them verse by verse. Beginning in verse 21 of Acts 19, the word of the Lord says this, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And at the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath. And they cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another, 
for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice, about the space of two hours, they cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly, for we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. Let's pray. God, we come to your word this morning. We're thankful for every part of it. It's been exciting to go through the book of Acts and see what happens when um, your Holy Spirit is yielded to, when he's followed, when he's obeyed. God, great work was going on here, and it became the target of Satan. There was people who rose up and, and began to cause a commotion, began to cause strife, and that happens in our lives, God, in so many different spheres, whether it's in our, our family, in our, our workplace, in churches, just every, it's everywhere. Satan it, it wants to cause strife. He wants there to be division. He wants there to be a commotion. He wants to wreak havoc, whereas Jesus calls us to make peace. Jesus calls us um, to love others. And so, God, as we go through this passage here this morning, I pray that uh, if we identify any area in our life where uh, we might cause or participate in strife, we would confess and, and uh, repent of it. And, Lord, uh, we would endeavor, we would commit uh, to do what Jesus has asked us to do and to not just keep peace but to be peacemakers by telling the truth, by speaking it in love, by standing for truth. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, here in this passage, we're introduced to Demetrius, and uh, in this account, he's without a doubt the instigator uh, as far as strife goes. Before we're introduced to him, verses 21 and 22 give us some details about Paul's future plan, so we know where he's going to head, uh, beginning in chapter 20 and, and then further. He desires to go to Jerusalem again, and he also wants to visit the church in Rome. Paul had never been there yet. Um, but before he goes to these two locations, Paul feels led by the Holy Spirit to visit the churches in Macedonia and Achaia first. Okay? Those are like provinces, they're like states. Um, these are where he had planted churches earlier on previous mission trips. Uh, church at Philippi is there, uh, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Corinth, and he wants to check on them. Paul wants to encourage them, he wants to serve and minister to the Christians there, but he also probably wants to encourage them uh, to give an offering to the Christians who were in Jerusalem who were suffering, and he can eventually take it there. So Paul sends his faithful helpers, uh, Timothy and Erastus, he sends them ahead to Macedonia and Achaia to prepare for Paul's arrival and ministry there. And it's in verses 23 and 24 that we're introduced to the main individual who causes all the commotion, the guy who is the source of all of this strife, the one who causes an uproar in Ephesus and threatens uh, the ministry of the church there. His name is Demetrius. Verse 24 tells us that he's a silversmith by trade. He earns his living uh, making and selling 
silver idols of the goddess Diana. Now, your Bible might say Artemis. That's a Greek name. A Roman name for her would be uh, Diana. Demetrius made a good living from the idolatrous worship that was centered in this major city. Ephesus was like this east meets west crossroads of commerce and culture, the most prominent city in the Roman province of Asia, and it was famous for its temple of Diana. This thing was huge, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Had 127 columns all around it, each one of them 60 feet high, a, a gigantic idol of the goddess Diana. Uh, we find out later that was supposedly made out of a meteorite that fell from Jupiter, the gods sent it here to earth. This large idol was prominently positioned in the temple. And, and I'll keep it PG rated this morning, but the idol was immorally graphic in its design as was the manner of worshiping this false goddess. So what does this have to do with Paul and with the Ephesian church and with the ministry they had in this city? Well, verse 23 said that there was no small stir about that way. We could say the way. That is what Christianity was known as at this point in time. There was no Baptist, no Methodist, no Presbyterian, uh, not even Christianity. Followers of Jesus were just referred to as followers of the way. And verses 25 through 27 tell us about the connection between Jesus' followers to the strife that Demetrius is about to cause here. Demetrius calls together all the craftsmen uh, who were earning their living the same way that he was, and he says, guys, you know how we make our money. We, we've had it good for so long, but our market share is crashing here, uh, and it's this, this fellow Paul's fault, as well as all the other uh, Christians those who followed this Jesus that he preaches about, Paul says that our idols and who they represent aren't even gods. And he's causing us to lose a lot of money. So uh, it's Demetrius' love of money that's really the source of strife in this instance, isn't it? Specifically, um, that's what's causing it. And he appeals to these other craftsmen with, with an economic motivation trying to sign them up to join in the strife. What does God tell us in 1 Timothy 6.10? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we briefly talked last week about how prevalent and how powerful the temptation is in our world to serve mammon. Early in our scripture reading passage in James, what Luke read for us, God said this, from whence come wars and fightings among you? We could say, uh, where does strife come from? when it becomes part of your life? Doesn't it come from the lusts that war within your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and you war and you have not because you ask not. I remember when evangelist Aaron Coffey spoke on this passage earlier this year in February. And he asked us, he said, what is it that you want so bad that you're willing to sin against your brother and sister in Christ? Demetrius didn't just appeal to them from a financial uh, perspective. He also threw in a cultural one as well in verse 27. If you look there, he says, hey, y'all, I mean, we're Ephesians. We have the glorious temple of Diana. This is who we are. And all of this Jesus stuff is trying to change us. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment uh, to highlight that everything that Demetrius has said so far is true. Maybe slightly exaggerated, but it's true. When the gospel grabs someone and the Holy Spirit indwells them and begins to transform their life, he transforms their whole life. Amen? That's God's design and why we're saved. Uh, Jesus 
and not pointless idols are, are, is who is worshipped. Jesus Christ alone. I mean, does Jesus change who you are? Yeah, he sure does. That's the whole point. No longer is where you come from or uh, your ethnicity or, or what you do for a living or your hobbies, none of those things, or, or any other thing really at all, no longer are any of those your primary identity Jesus Christ is. That's what it means to be saved. So everything that Demetrius is saying here and trying to stir up all this strife is true. It's true. Uh, we ought to be like these Ephesian Christians. We should endeavor to be like them. I mean, this is how we should endeavor to change society through the gospel. Does your following Jesus Christ, does it impact your life? Does it impact your community? Is it impacting your culture? Because it's supposed to. Charles Hans Spurgeon once said this, I wish the gospel would affect the trade of London. There are some trades that need affecting. And not by an act of parliament, we can fight this battle alone. May these evils come to an end by the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can the gospel do that? Can the gospel transform people's lives? Can it impact every area of your life? At the end of verse 27, Demetrius uses one additional argument to get others to join him in stirring up strife. He uses popularity. At the end of verse 27, he says, And all of Asia and all of the world worship Diana. No, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. But Demetrius is just doing what so many other sources of strife and temptation do. He's given here the, well, everybody is doing it argument, or, or everyone thinks like this. No, they don't. Not everybody's doing it. And even if they were, what, what a terrible reason to do something or not do something regardless. Charles Spurgeon also once said, long ago I ceased to count heads because truth is usually in the minority in this fallen world. Amen. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? We looked at that last Sunday evening. Enter in the narrow gate. <laughs> That's where you're to be heading. It's narrow. And Jesus said, wide is the gate. And wide is the way. And it leads to destruction. It's so wide because there's so many on that way. Because that way is, is popular. But Jesus said the narrow gate and the narrow way. That's what leads to eternal life. And so even were we to stand alone, the reality is we don't ever stand alone. Amen? If you're standing on the Word of God, and if you're standing for Jesus Christ, you don't stand alone. So don't be discouraged. Don't be dissuaded in this world by what's popular or, or what's unpopular according to this world, Jesus follower. In verses 28 to 34, they reveal to us the significant strife that results from Demetrius and what he's saying. And it's both frightening and in one place a little funny. Let's look at the Ephesians here, because they're the participators in strife. Verse 28 says that when this group of craftsmen heard everything that Demetrius said, they were full of wrath. And they cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. They took a hook, line, and sinker, didn't they? Everything that Demetrius said. I'm sure they were concerned about the gospel's impact on their wallet, uh, on their financial future too. But then verse 29 tells us the whole city was filled with confusion. Now, Luke is a detail guy. He's a human author, if not you, Luke, gospel, a Luke writer. But he's a detail guy. I'm sure you are too. He's a doctor. And when he writes the whole city, he means the whole city of Ephesus. Uh, this is a rapidly growing mob, and they grab two Christians named Gaius and Aristarchus. These are partners of Paul and ministry. And this growing mob, they rush them into the theater. 
Now, the Ephesian theater was almost as massive as the Temple of Diana. It could seat an estimated 25,000. It's like a big ballpark or a sports arena, and it's filled to capacity here. We learn in verses 30 to 31 that when Paul found out about what was going on, he desired to rush there too so he could defend uh, Gaius and Aristarchus. But the other Christians at Ephesus, they didn't think that was a good idea. They prevented him from doing so. And so did, it says, certain of the chief of Asia. These are political leaders, Christians maybe, maybe not. Um, they all told Paul, hey, we understand your heart, buddy, but um, these people are enraged. It's not wise to go there. It's too dangerous. So that's the frightening part. When we come to verse 32, we have what might be the funny part. Luke writes this. Some therefore cried one thing, and then some another, for the assembly was confused. And here's the funny part. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. Do you understand what God is saying here? There's this massive mob, 25,000-person filled arena. And some are saying this and yelling about this, and some are yelling about that. But the majority of them don't even know why they're there, why they're angry, uh, why strife is being caused, why they should be upset. There are people swept up in mob mentality. Protesters not even knowing why they're protesting, just causing commotion. Participators in strife. Listen, they're just as guilty as God, just as guilty before God as, as the one who's instigating the strife. Uh, these are the kind of people who find great joy and purpose in life in drama. They love it. Couldn't live without it. You know what I mean? The kind of people who probably over the last few years were, had a hard time working remotely because they didn't know what was going on in everybody else's lives. They didn't know the tea that was being spilled at the office water cooler. Participators in strife. Jesus followers are to be people who won't tell others about the sin of someone else, even in the guise of a prayer request. Uh, people who won't get offended and all bent out of shape because we believe what God says in Proverbs 17:9. Whoever would foster love covers an offense, but whoever repeats a matter separates friends. As Jesus followers, the Christian, we're, we're to know and we're to live out what God says in Proverbs 16:28. A perverse man spreads dissension, and a gossip divides close friends. This is not the action of the Ephesians here in Ephesus. They were participators. And the majority of them not even knowing why they were there, what they were supposed to be so angry about. And then in verses 33 and 34, it seems that some of the Jewish people in Ephesus, they get a little worried. Um, see, like Christians, they're monotheistic. They're very much against idolatry. And they're worried that they might become the recipients of all this wrath and strife. And so they push a guy named Alexander forward to be their spokesman, and he tells the mob, hey, don't group us in with these troublemaking Christians, but the crowd shouts him down, won't even let him speak, don't want to hear him. Instead, this arena holding 25,000 people, they chant for two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Can you imagine how deafening that roar must have been? Try to put yourself in Paul's shoes or Gaius or Aristarchus, not knowing what's going to happen next. Pastor David Guzik wrote about this verse, uh, and it's worth considering. Let me say, great is the Diana of Ephesians. For two hours, the whole crowd is shouting this. Would you consider how this echoes right now in our day? Great is my sports team, or, or great is my political party, 
Or great is my investment portfolio. Great is my career path. Great is my, I don't whatever, you fill in the blank. Uh, but in contrast, if you would be so bold as to say, great is the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of this world would tell you, why don't you just take it down a notch? Quit shoving your religion down my throat. Even in the church, you might be considered a little extreme. How very sad. When it comes to strife, there's always instigators. There's always participators. But God's word teaches us that the solution to strife is being a peacemaker. We're introduced to him in verses 35 to 41. The, uh, the King James Version word for that's translated town's clerk here, it might minimize this person's status. This guy was probably the mayor of Ephesus. And it says in verses 35 to 41 that we, take, uh, we see him take the role of peacemaker in this strife. He, he grabs everybody's attention in that arena. I don't know how he does it without a microphone. But um, they pay attention to him. And in verses 35 to 40, he says, listen, y'all, everybody knows, everybody knows that the city of Ephesus, we are the place for Diana worship. We've got the largest image. <laughs> We've got the largest temple. This is who we are. And what he says in these verses is, is who cares what Paul says and what these Christians are saying? Why are you getting so bent out of shape about that? Don't act so rashly here. These two men you've arrested, they've committed no crime. If Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen, if they're upset and they have a problem with them, with what these way followers are doing here, they should take them to court. They should follow the proper legal channels because everything you guys are doing right now in this whole commotion and this whole riot, it's putting us all in danger to the Roman government with this chaos. And finally, in verse 41, what this 25,000 member mob's response was it says they listened to him and he dismissed them all he said break it up it's time to go home now listen this guy is no christian <laughs> we can tell from what he's said um, he's not a follower of the way this mayor does not know jesus christ as a savior but but in this instance here he was a peacemaker god used even an unbeliever to be the solution to strife what he said and what he did and it wasn't so much him, it was what he said. He just spoke truth. Truth is the solution to strife. But truth has to be spoken, it has to be shared. And this guy stepped up and was a peacemaker. And if an unbeliever did this, well then, what are the Christian? Because we're actually called to do this by Jesus Christ. He said in his Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of of God. What Jesus is saying there is that if you're saved, if you are a child of God, you are called to be a peacemaker. It's one of your assignments from the Lord. Not a peacekeeper. There's a difference there. Peacekeeping is weak work. What I mean by that is peacekeepers, they're willing to compromise anything and everything, even the truth that makes peace in order to bring about this false sense of peace. And God tells us in Romans 12, 18, that, that this is the way of love. Teddy spoke about love this morning. He's saying about it. God tells us in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace with everyone, with everyone. Now, there's some qualifiers in that verse, aren't there? If it is possible, as much as depends on you, uh, Jesus, God does not say live at peace with everyone. Uh, the reason there are um, some qualifiers there is sometimes it's not possible. <laughs> That's why God says, if it is possible. Uh, it's not possible to live in peace with everyone. 
if you have to give up truth, the person who is willing to uh, give up truth, pursuing unity, we're committing treason to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're actually disobeying God's word. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the placators. There's a big difference there. And sometimes it's not possible due to that other qualifier. God says in Romans 12, 18, as much as depends on you. Because whenever there's strife, there's multiple individuals involved. But you can do your part. You can be the solution to strife. You can be a peacemaker as much as depends on you. Not a peacekeeper, a peacemaker. Standing for truth, just like this guy did. Sharing the truth in love, as God tells us to do in Ephesians 4, 15. There's three main characters in this account. We've got Demetrius, the source of strife, the instigator. We've got a massive group of Ephesian citizens, participators in the strife, doing nothing to quell it, enjoying all the drama. And then there's this town clerk, this mayor, and he's a peacemaker, a guy who didn't even know Jesus Christ, but he still made peace by taking a stand for truth and by speaking truth. Now, if you had to put yourself in one of these characters' shoes this morning, which one are you? What would the testimony of your life place you? Are you a strife instigator? Are you a strife participator? Or are you a peacemaker? Going back to our scripture passage in James from earlier this morning, what is it that's so important to you that you're willing to sin against somebody else? What is it? Because whatever it is, that, that's your Diana. That, that's your idol. That is what is more important to you than Jesus Christ. Who this morning wants to be a peacemaker? Who'd say, yeah, I know that's my calling from Jesus. And I want to be one. Who would say, Lord, if you can use an unbeliever like this guy here who stands up for truth and who speaks truth, what could you do through me, through someone who's indwelled and filled with the Holy Spirit? Were I to believe your word and were I to apply it? If I'd be willing to, to lay down my preferences if I'd be willing to lay down my rights and do what your word says, strive to live peaceably with all men as much as possible, as much as depends on us. God, what if I were bold in the Holy Spirit to stand for truth and to speak the truth in love to be that solution to strife as Tommy comes and leads us in a time to respond to God's word, however the Holy Spirit has used it to call you to respond to